Hey, good morning. Good to see you. I'm going to go set my other set of notes over here so I can uh, focus. This is the last week that we're going to have it in the round. All right. So now for some of you, you really enjoy the round and, and we recognize that there are some huge benefits to being able to look across and see each other. And when you're worshiping, you can tell other people are actually singing. I mean, isn't that exciting as opposed to always staring at the stage and have no idea if anyone else is singing, you feel like you're the only one. There are really connective, intimate elements about an around environment. There are also some challenges. We are not quite fully equipped to do this. Like, for example, it's hard to go, well, Lance is right in front of me. Am I looking at the monitor or him? Monitor him, right? Sometimes that's tough. And then not all of you always want to look at my backside. I understand that, you know, and I appreciate that. That's great. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I'm always, my back is always to three quarters of the group, right? So it's not the best environment for uh, engagement of speaking. Now, my favorite part is that, of course, I get to see all of you, right? There's no faraway seat that I can't see. I can see all the way in the back row and I can make eye contact. Uh, Just my connection point is that all my life I've always had really intense eye contact. Um, I tend to not even know what you're wearing. I always stare at your eyes and uh, I never, you know, I don't track on a whole lot of other stuff because I'm always staring at what you intend through your eyes. So that's kind of my favorite part about this. So we will be redesigning this type of theme probably for Easter. But until now, we're going to go ahead and switch back to our prior format uh, just because it's a little bit easier on our leaders. It takes a lot of volunteers to be able to do what we do and we don't want to put an unnecessary demand right on their team at this time. So I have an announcement for you and that is I want you to be at the walk. I want you to be at the march for the dream that we are doing tomorrow. We're all going to meet at Sac City College at 8.30. Um, If you would like to try to practically work out carpooling, we're going to be meeting here and then carpooling down. Or you can go down with somebody, drop one car off at the end of the march and one car obviously at the beginning of the march if you're able to do that. Why? Because although the light rail goes from the convention center and back to Sac City College, everyone's on it. And so it takes a super long time, right? So you can get back on the light rail and that's very inexpensive and it's perfect once you're on, but it stops a lot. And there's a lot of people waiting. Uh, when you march and I, in this year of action and doing stuff, this is our first thing we get to do as a family. So I do want you there. When you're there, I want you wearing this hat. Why? So I can look out across and see the community of Christ that is all shown up to love on our community. So I need you to wear one of these hats. We uh, ended up uh, having 500 of them. We bought 500 to be able to just sell back to you and cover the cost of the hat. They're five bucks out in the lobby. Uh, The whole point is to buy one for you and one for someone else to invite. So that would be a $10 investment. Uh, but it allows the community to know that the church showed up and that's a big deal, right? So make sure that you're there with me. Also the celebration tonight at Capital Christian center starts at five o'clock. I suggest every time I've been, it's been packed. I suggest you get there early and just know that you go, well, when is it going to end? I don't know. I don't know. So let's just kind of have an easy schedule on that one. But the gentleman that is going to be speaking this evening uh, has a rather unusual resume. He is not only the chaplain of the 49ers, he's also the chaplain of the Golden State Warriors. He is also has the history of being the chaplain for San Quentin on death row. So this man has a lot of stories to tell, a lot of fascinating things that he's walked through in his life. I encourage you to come out and hear him. They also hand out some of the community awards, which is really neat to hear what people are doing out in the, for the African-American community and to be able to encourage them and strengthen them and say, yeah, we're behind you. This is fantastic. So MLK Choir is going to be there. I want you there. All right. So if you can be to either one of those events, hopefully both, I want you to be there. This is a year of actually doing it, not thinking about it. Yeah. All right, so let's make sure to grab some of those. Uh, a couple other things. Let me. I want to tell you a story. 
Um, but I do want to say this every week. I'm going to try to remind you, I need you here every week. I need us to commit to going to church. You go, well, that sounds really weird. Why are you talking to me? I'm already here. I know, but there's going to be a week that you're going to be tempted not to be here. And I need you to make this a priority so that we can disciple you and disciple your family and everything that we do, we can build upon together. It takes time to transform, right? All right. So all those uh, commercials are done. Let me just say this. I got a story for you. You remember last week when I talked about the Good Samaritan story? Do you remember this? And what I talked about was we can't get bogged down in this year with the paralysis of analysis, right? Which means basically we overthink stuff and then we never do it. So I was explaining that in the Good Samaritan story, there was somebody that was having a hard time and somebody came in and they went above and beyond to make sure to love on them tangibly. Yes? Isn't that the story? So I'm driving home and it is pouring rain last Sunday. I was leaving out of here late. And as I'm driving home, I was listening to a podcast on the way home and, and the phone rang through and it was my wife. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I, I hit the call button, hands free, in case any of you are police officers. <laughs> and so, <laughs> didn't even touch my phone. Okay, so uh, it's on the steering wheel. So I, I click through and I go, hey, babe. And she goes, hey, hon, just, just call in to say great job today. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And she said, she goes, yeah, so we took your message to heart. So the girls and I, we prayed about it. And we picked up a young man from Walmart and he's in your shower. <laughs> awesome. So I began to drive faster on the way home. Sure enough, uh, what had happened was, is that Susie and the girls on the way home from church, they were going through uh, the Walmart parking lot. And there was a young man who had a sign out there and it was pouring rain. And the sign said, anything will help. God bless. And she thought he was 16. She thought, and her mama bear kind of came out and was like, oh no, I'm not having some young kid by himself out in the rain having a hard time. So her and the girls picked him up and said, well, we can offer you a warm shower and offer you a home cooked meal, which I think, I mean, that's brilliant, right? I mean, talk about doing stuff. All right. Well, she's doing stuff. So I come flying home, right? And I'm in full protection mode. So I'm a little nervous, right? Because uh, uh, there's, you know, in general, you want to kind of say, listen, if if you are a lady, you're going to be ministering with ladies and kids. If you're a guy, you can minister to guys. If I was in the car, I wouldn't have had a problem with it, right? Because I would have done the same thing, but I wasn't there. Now, she thought I was going to be home when she got home. I was not home. I was late here. So she was at home by herself. Well, that's not necessarily wise. And so I come into the house and she said, are you mad at me? I go, yep. And then I (laughs) moved on uh, to go meet this gentleman. And so by the time I, um, I, I got out of my room, he was downstairs and she was cooking in case you wanted to know it was fettuccine and grilled cheese in case you were wondering. So, um, she's cooking a home cooked meal and he was sitting there. Now I, I will jump to the end of the story. The end of the story is this. It was the best case scenario. In other words, he was the most polite, respectful, kind, honest and open young man. She thought he was 16. He was 18 going on 19, right? And so he is an adult man, but he's young and it worked out in a perfect fashion, but I want to tell you why. So my concern was Susie, and this is my reason in telling you the story. She said, all right, so tell me why you're mad. I said, hon, your compassion is rocking. I said, your ability to follow through on a message, clearly it's very good, right? I said, here's my concern. You cannot allow your compassion to block your wisdom. I said, what we need is what God does is he has both going at full force. So wisdom has to be there because what we want to do is we want to help in a smart fashion. There are a lot of ways to help. There's a lot of backup we need. Great. We just need to be smart about it because what we don't want to do is lose the ability to help later. 
we always want to be very wise about it. So we can't let our compassion block our wisdom. So I said, that's why I'm concerned. Now, here's how the other part of it went so well. We ended up finding a place for him to stay that evening to get out of the rain. And then we ended up getting in contact with a couple people. Now, the first person we got in contact with used to do ministry around here a lot and has since moved and is doing ministry in Folsom. You may know him. His name is PC Walker. PC Walker did a lot of ministry at Adventure Church back in the day. PC Walker used to lead a lot of different singles ministries and youth ministries and things like that. Well, he's a great man of God. And he is now working at Powerhouse Ministries in Folsom, where I live, that handles homeless issues. So I fired out an email to him late Sunday night. Well, I don't know how in the world the guy was checking his email. He fires back to me immediately. And I'm still nervous about this whole thing. And he fires back and says, I know that young man. He has always been polite and kind and respectful. Well, immediately I now have a confirmation from somebody else. This is a good guy. He said the same story he told you is what I know of. So all my defenses start to relax, right? Well, then I contacted Dan Gamble. Dan is a man in our church that runs our prison ministry, but he's a social worker. He knows everything backwards and forwards that goes on around Sacramento. So he knows all the programs and resources. So I contact Dan. Dan said, you know what? I'll come out and meet him tomorrow. He drives down from where he's at, meets with Susie and this young man at a restaurant, and they end up sitting and talking. He then takes it on personally, gets him into a program that not only has helps for him and resources for him um, and support, but it also has job training and pieces. The young man is absolutely thriving. I just need you to know, it's amazing. Now, does that mean it's always gonna be easy and smooth? Come on, that's not realistic, okay? Remember, church is supposed to be messy because transformation is a process. Ministry is supposed to be messy because people are messy. So were there addiction issues? Yes. Were there all kinds of, well, this is what I told you initially and this is really what was going on? Yes. That's how it works. But if you're going to walk into ministry, understand there is usually a reason why things are so difficult for someone. You have to take that in stride and walk with that. The reason why I think it went so well is the body of Christ came together. I only had one little part of the puzzle. I don't have the expertise that some of the other gentlemen had that I contacted. They had resources and knowledge I had no idea about. They came in and together we all did different pieces and this young man was loved on. Now, he's lodged into me and my wife's heart to where we know what his birthday is. We know that it's January 21st. We know that we want to make sure to reach out to him and keep in contact with him just because he is now our heart. You understand what I mean? So things are good. So I tell that story merely that, first of all, don't preach to your family. That was one thing, <laughs> uh, right? No, I, I told that story because I want you to understand that this is what we're supposed to be about and also we need to be wise, okay? Just because things worked out in that scenario does not mean that that was necessarily the best way to do it, okay? Um, so ladies, I need to caution you if you're a single mom, let's be careful on who we're inviting into our homes and stuff like that. Um, not that you don't want to, it's that let's just make sure we have backup, okay? Because in general, it's gonna go wonderfully, but not all the time. So we, let's just be a little bit more cautious. Yeah, we good on that one? All right, fantastic. Last thing that I want to highlight before we dive into God's word for today is that I mentioned to you last week the bless concept, the plan of evangelism for Bridgeway moving forward. Y'all remember what those B-L-E-S-S -S stands for? Let's go with the B. It stands for? Begin with prayer. That's right, the L. Listen deeply, the E. Eat with them. That's right. The S. Serve them. And the last S. 
story. Tell them your story and tell them the story of Jesus. This is our plan of evangelism. We need to get out there and bless people, love on them actively, love on them tangibly, making sure that they know that we are with them, that we might transform the community of the greater Sacramento area. Amen. Amen. Take out your Bibles with me, your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are launching a brand new year of purpose, the year of action. I call it the year of doing stuff. And we are launching a new series today through the book of Colossians. It's a 14-part series called Purposeful Christianity. Purposeful Christianity. And the whole heart of this series is that there is a lifestyle attached to our faith. Not a think style. There is a lifestyle attached to our faith. Jesus said, if you want to be with me, you got to walk like I walk. That means I want you to live like I lived. I want you to do things tangibly like I did. I want you to act towards people the way I act. I want you to love the way that I love. There is a lifestyle attached to our Christianity. There are certain things we must do. God is very big on justice. God is very big on protection. God is very big on sharing. God is very big on generosity, right? These are things that we must do. We are like him. But I never want anyone to hear, you need to do stuff to be loved by God, right? I'm going to keep defending against that. The way that it always works, and this is a premise that we train everybody in, in our leadership. Here's the premise. The father gives us an identity and out of that we obey. We do not obey God to get an identity. Always go the right direction. The father, he initiated it. He gave us an identity poured out into us. We're merely cascading out the blessing. We do things out of a full heart. We do things out of acceptance to God. We don't do things to get accepted by God. Yeah. All right, so we got to lock that one in. In other words, our purpose comes from who we are. Well, who are we? We are children of God. Therefore, there are certain things that we do naturally. Our purpose comes from why we were created. I've been asked my entire ministry life, why are we here? There are two reasons why we were created, in my opinion. Number one, it's to have relationship with our creator. If you do not have a relationship with God, you're going to continually feel a void. Secondly, we were designed to bring him glory. If we are not bringing him glory, there is a certain degree we will feel unsatisfied because it's what we were built to do. So our purpose, remember, we're not waiting for a magical purpose. We all have a purpose. The purpose is to live for God and be a representative of God on this planet. When you interact with somebody, you are speaking on behalf of the kingdom of God. That is your purpose. All right. Okay. So look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. And this leads us into it. Here we go. The first one has one blank, but it's two words. It's I am. I am, meaning Jesus. Jesus is the great I am. I am tells me who I am and what I do. Jesus tells me who I am and what I do. Say it again. I am tells me who I am and what I do. All right. You got that? All right. In this series, I'm going to continually come back to this concept and it's a bit of a call and response. Now I shared with you, I believe last week that anytime I do a call and response, it's never as cool as if pastor Parnell does it right. I mean, there's a certain anointing that when he says it, it's cool, right? So you need to just be nice to me and pretend like I am pastor Parnell. And so when I do this, you need to respond to me. All right, here we go. Here we go. Don't, don't be rude. All right. Don't be quiet. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say one thing and you're going to say the next portion of it. And really the statement is this. If that is true, what do we do? Got that? So if that is true, oh, bam. Now, have you ever had a response like that? Come on. Come on. All right. Unfortunately, he has and better, but he was trying to be nice. If that is true, 
what do we do? I'm going to share that a little bit later in the message because what you're going to hear yourself say over and over in this series is what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? That's what we're trying to burn into our hearts. Christianity is not merely a matter of thought. It is a matter of action. So whenever I say, if that is true, what do we do? Turn with me to Colossians chapter one. Give you an idea. I'm just going to read through the first eight verses so we can get kind of the heart of it. And then I'll break it apart. Starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, that's who wrote the letter to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it's bearing fruit and increasing as it is as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. All right. Pretty much Paul does a lot of run on sentences. And so it kind of, what's he talking about? It's a little hard to track on. So let's break it down. Go back to verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Do you remember Paul's story? You know Paul's testimony. It's shocking. Really, Paul's testimony is a story of being rescued from religion. Paul, the apostle, was zealous, stubborn, ferocious, religious. He found out later in his life that he was not on God's side. How is it possible to go to church your whole life and not be on God's side? Does that happen today? Yes, it does. How is it possible to think that you're serving the Lord and then have him tell you personally, I don't even know you. That was Paul's story. So Paul had to be transformed from religious to alive. Let's be very cautious to always check our heart. Why are we in church? Is it possible that we are religious, but we are not yet alive? That's what we're always checking on. God, is my spirit alive or am I merely going through motions? Am I here for a reason other than submitting to you, Lord? What I think is so beautiful about Paul's story is every bit of his personality and life was redeemed. God took all of his aggressiveness. God took all of his education and intellect. God took all of his zeal and passion and turned him into one of the greatest evangelists of all time. What I think is super neat about that story is I want you to picture your friends for a moment. What are your friends like? You, we all pretty much have friends. Like some of them are kind of the life of the party friends. They're connectors. They're fun. Then we have the friends are a little bit more serious and they're very intellectual. And then we have friends that are kind of the experts in things that when they say it's legit, it's legit, right? What would they look like in the hands of God? What would their gifts look like if they got to use them for the kingdom? Begin to dream about your friends caught up in Jesus and on fire for the Lord and how incredible they would be for the kingdom of God. That's how God sees your friends. What we need to do is pray that that would come alive in them. And that's why we minister to them, right? Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What's an apostle? Well, technically it means the one sent out by someone else. In our term, it would mean sent out by God. The office of apostle really kind of meant three things, planning churches, proclaiming the gospel and leading leaders. In other words, you're a big dog, right? So if you're an apostle, you're kind of the authority and you oversee other leaders. So is that what Paul's saying? Hey guys, real quick. My name's Paul. I'm in charge of you. No. It sure seems like that though, because what he just said is, Hey, I got the highest title. I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know if you knew that. Right. 
And maybe it would have sounded like that until you read the next phrase, by the will of God. What was he trying to say? Guys, it was never my idea in the first place. I want to know part of this. Y'all, I am drawn into a ministry that I never even imagined. I grew up hardcore Jewish, he said. Everybody I knew was Jewish. Everybody I loved was Jewish. And I was very anti-Gentile. So what does God make me do? Now I'm the leader of the Gentiles. Man, that's not what I would have picked. I could have designed a million other ministries and this was not it. But that's what God wanted in me. So yes, I'm an apostle. But I didn't do it as a career choice. I didn't do it to step up a ladder. God said, and now you're on. So I enter into it with humility and I enter into it with seriousness. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Y'all know Timothy's story. His mom's a Jew. His dad's a Greek. So he's kind of that mixed mutt kind of thing. And Paul comes through his household. Now he had been raised in scripture. He had been raised as a young Jewish man. So he knew a ton about God, but all of a sudden this man, Paul and his buddy Barnabas come into town and they are fascinating. This young guy, wide eyed, watches them. They start sharing the gospel. He's like, I'm all in. Get saved under their ministry and just explodes on fire. But the next time they come through, which is basically about a year, maybe a two years, the next time he comes in, he sees this young guy, Timothy, and Timothy is a monster in the faith. He is so hardcore. And Paul's like, dang, look at this kid. Man, you've been, you've been studying. Hey, how about you come and hang out with me? What, what do you think about that? Timothy's like, yes, sir. And he goes in and becomes Paul's protege for the rest of Paul's known life. What I need you to see is how he's described He's not described as an apostle. What's he described as? He's my brother. See, some of us don't think we matter until we're an apostle. You need to be what you are. And God said, you know what you are? You fulfill this part of the body. I'm not interested in you doing this part over here. That's not your calling. That's not your job. That's not your purpose. I have something else for you. And it's just as valuable as Paul's. Because here's what you may not know. Timothy does become a monster in the faith. He's awesome. As a matter of fact, Paul trusts him so much, he sends him out and does these different important jobs and eventually hands off the church of Ephesus to him. Tradition has that then Timothy becomes the bishop, the big dog of all of Ephesus. Tradition also goes on to say, and I think this is probably inaccurate, but that's, it's how it's remembered in some of the church's history that Timothy was so passionate for God and had so owned all of it that he was in Ephesus and owned his city. That when there was a parade of paganness going through the center of his town, they were highlighting other gods and praising other gods. He went ballistic. He went off and said, you guys need to shut this down right now. This is not honorable to the Lord. How dare you dishonor my God? And they killed him right there on the spot. The martyrdom of St. Timothy is honored on January 22nd, this month. Okay. But Timothy in this story is just a kid. If we cannot learn to be under the authority of someone else, why should God ever trust us to lead? If you're a bad follower, you're not going to be a good leader. Y'all remember that God had King David under Saul for a really long time to learn what leader he didn't want to be. It is very rare that God pulls a Paul move. He grabs somebody without being under the leadership of somebody else and puts them in a senior position. When we hear those stories, a story like mine, I never had anybody that was a mentor of mine like that. When we hear stories like mine, we think that's always how it goes. That should be the most rare story. The most common story should be that you're under the leadership of someone else and then you slowly grow into it. Why? Because it trains something in you. 
I've had to scramble my whole life to add in those pieces because it was never given to me. If you aren't a good follower, you're probably not going to be a good leader. And some of us, God has whispered to us how gifted we are. Some of us, God has told us what we will day one day become. And we get so full of ourselves because of the vision and encouragement he gave us. We're too big for our britches. I need you to know this right now. If pride enters your heart for what God is going to make you, then he can't use you. You ruined it. I'll tell you that uh, Pastor Parnell and the other leaders here, we can tell you story after story of brilliantly gifted people we cannot use. Some of you have come to us and said, we can, I'd love to be a leader. And we had to say no, because your heart has moved ahead and your character has not caught up with your calling. Y'all understand what I'm saying? All right. All right. Let's go on. Verse two. Who's the letter written to? To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Saints are what they are. Faithful brothers is what they became. What does that mean? It means it's us. Saints are not, as High Church says, superheroes. Right? Which is kind of like you're doing a lot of cool stuff, do a couple miracles, bam, you get sainthood, brother. Right? Sainthood, sister, we got that. Hey, Mother Teresa, dang, she's smarter and nicer and better than all of you. So we're making her a saint too. The whole concept of making someone a saint is not biblical. Now, I know that's offensive to some of you. It's just a fact. Why? Because saint means you've been made holy by Jesus Christ and set apart for the works of God. That's every single one of us. You are saints. That's why God holds us accountable is he's like, kids, I've already done everything for you. No wonder you're supposed to live like this. You're not like scrambling for stuff. You're loaded with potential. Man, I've already made you holy and forgiven and grace filled. I've already done all this stuff for you. You just got to live it out because it's normal to you. You are my saints. You don't have to earn your way there. You are that because of what Jesus did on the cross. But whether or not you become faithful brothers and sisters, now that's up to you. That's the hard work part. I'm going to highlight as well that there are some blessings you will never get if you're not faithful. Because in this world, we go in and out of the church. In this world, we go in and out of Christianity. In this world, we go through phases of I'm on fire and then I don't care anymore. And then I'm on fire and then I don't care anymore. There is a blessing to faithfulness. Unless you stick in there, you're not going to see it. It makes you keep resetting. And I don't want to reset. I want to keep going. He said to the saints and faithful brothers. Now listen to this verse. In Christ at Colossae. Do you see that? In Christ at Colossae. Why is that important? Because that's our identity. We are in Christ at Bridgeway. We are in Christ in California. We are in Christ in America. We hold dual citizenship at all times. Right? We are home... Our resources, our hope, our connection, our authority, our power comes from our home country of heaven. But we live here. So what does it mean? It means we also engage here. It means that we still put our hearts here, but we hold it loosely. It means that we still love people here, but we know that we are headed somewhere else. At all times, Christians hold that dual citizenship of being in Jesus, but also in the world. We just need to handle them differently. All right, let's keep moving forward. It says this. We're in verse 3. He said, let me tell you how ministry looks and how we act. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What did you see? Right off the bat, I see the word we. We do this, we do that. We focus on y'all. Any of these we and y'all statements, which is obviously the plural you, mean that we're not designed to be alone. 
Why do we need missional community so much? Because we need to be families on mission. Why do we need to be in small groups so much? Because we can't do it on our own. We only make sense when we're with one another. So we need to be together. Everything that Paul does, he ends up throwing in a, we do this and then we do that and then we do that. Why? You can't do it alone. So don't try. But that requires commitment. And so what do we do? We thank God. Here we go. We're going to go into our phrase. Remember I say the phrase, right? If that's true, what do we do? All right, here we go. We're going to go into some of those. Here we go. The Bible says God has blessed us abundantly with everything we need with life and godliness. If this is true, what do we do? We live lives of gratitude. That's what we do. We are thankful people. We are not grumblers. We are not complainers. We are not people living in scarcity. We are living in an abundant lifestyle. You go, no, I'm not. I have that. You're looking at it wrong. If you are alive and you are clothed and you are in a warm place, you are abundantly blessed. Right? So we need to reset what is blessed because otherwise we become complainers. Even the people of Israel said, I wish I could go back to being a slave because at least I had extra water and food. Really? Do you want to go back to a time of slavery? I don't think so. They weren't looking at it right. They were blessed. They had manna. They just didn't like manna anymore. They were blessed. They had protection, but they didn't feel protected. They did have blessings. We have blessings. We need to turn our minds around and live thankful lives because of what God has done for us. Here's the other thing that we do. The Bible says God hears us and moves on the behalf of his children. If this is true, what do we do? We pray. You do not pray because you do not believe in the power of prayer. It means you miss something in scripture. And you go, well, what does it really matter if I pray? God's going to do what he's going to do. Let me be very clear on this. God set up a system that he will not do certain things until you pray. He will trigger certain things based on your prayers. How do we know that? Because there's a very famous verse that says you have not because you asked not. Could God have done it anyway? Yep. Will he? Nope. Why? I don't know. He made it up. He's allowed to do that. So this whole business of, well, I I don't bother praying. I don't really have a great prayer life and everything else. You are missing out. You're missing out on connection and you're missing out on kingdom power to advance. So truly God's listening to us. We should utilize that. God says, I will trigger the power of heaven through your prayers So we should pray. What else do we do as a family? The Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the world and that those who have received him, he adopted as children of God and calls them his own. If this is true, what do we do? We love the church, all of it. And we love them actively. We love the church, all of it. And we love them actively until you can clearly show me in scripture why someone is not saved. They're part of your family. We need to stop with all the harassment and spending all our time analyzing and criticizing the church. We got more important things to do. If they're out of line, let the leadership handle it and let God handle it. It is not for you to spend all your time on. Oh, well, you know what? I went through and I went online and I found out these people think this and this is bogus. You can do that with anybody. Why? Because everyone's messed up. We get it. Move on. Well, they may do it wrong. We're doing it wrong. Everybody's doing it wrong. So you spending all your time pointing out the obvious is not an effective use of your time. Stop analyzing other people and you get busy Doing the kingdom work. Yeah? Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Here we go. Jesus, the Bible says, began a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it. The Bible says he sent the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. It says that he said he's going to prepare a place for us in heaven to be with him forever. If this is true, what do we do? We live like no one can take away our greatest treasure. Everything else is just details. And we live here with hope. You see, 
every corresponding revelation has an action. You're hearing revelation all the time. So what are we going to do about it? That's, that's the heart of Christianity. We wander through our lives and God is revealing things. Sometimes he reveals to you that love matters. Let's say somebody hurts you. What did God just reveal? That you're fragile. He just revealed that you shouldn't treat other people like that. He revealed that you crave love so you should give love. Everything that he's revealing to you is triggering some type of action. It's not just for you. It's to go through you to someone else. Pick it up in verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, meaning you heard the gospel, which has come to you as indeed it's come into the whole world and it's bearing fruit and increasing just as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood it, the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it. Let's do one more of these. John three sixteen. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but would have eternal life. If this is true, what do we do? We embrace the gospel. We let it pervade every area of our lives and we share it. If that is true, what do we do? We share it. Let me flip this around because some of us get nervous about evangelism and sharing our faith. Let me flip it this way. See how it settles with you. If the house is on fire and you know the house is on fire, and you know the way out, how is it that you hate everyone else in the house so much that you'd let them go on sleeping while the fire blocks the doorway? Because a lot of times we turn it around and we're like, well, I'm a little bit nervous about sharing my faith. Why don't you love enough that you have to share your faith? Because you're the only one that knows the fire's going. Everyone else is asleep. They don't know. If you share it with them and they don't want to hear it, that's between them and God. Your job is not results. Your job is love and sharing. And you go, well, you know what? This might happen. Paralysis of analysis. Yeah. You don't have to be a jerk. Uh, Maybe that's the first time you've ever heard that in a church. Here we go. (laughs) You don't have to be a jerk. You can be nice. You can be loving. You can share the same story without condemning everyone, but please share it. Now, should it affect everything? The gospel should affect your marriage. It should affect your parenting style. It should affect you at school. It should affect you at work. It should affect you at church. It should affect you with your friends. The gospel has implications for every bit of it. It says the gospel needs to be bearing fruit in us and increasing. Are you becoming more like Jesus or not? Because the Holy Spirit's super good at his job. And if the Holy Spirit's in there constantly churning out righteousness in you and you're not growing in the Lord, that means you're resisting really hard. That sounds exhausting. To a Christian, it should be natural to grow. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is constantly moving us, constantly building us. But we have to partner with him, not resist him, He said, when you heard the gospel, the reason why it impacted you so much is you heard it and you understood it. Remember last week I told you that if you do not love with your emotions, it's not God kind of love. Do you remember me saying that? Emotions are critical. But emotions and intellect are two sides of the same coin, right? We have to involve our intellect and involve our emotions. You don't just get to go, hey, Jesus died, got up. And then you, for your own personal heart, leave it there. Please know why you believe what you believe. Well, I don't really like study. I get it. But how many times have you not wanted to go to church and then were blessed when you got there? Every week. Come on. (laughs) Right? Come on. No, you didn't want to go. But when you got there, you understood why and tried to pack that away and go, there is value in showing up. I'll tell you this, there's value in doing study. No, you don't want to do study, but once you get into it and it starts unpacking for you and changes your life, studying becomes fun. 
We need to use our intellect and our emotions at all times. Let's finish this out. Verse 7. They heard the gospel not from Paul. Did you know that? Paul not only didn't found this church, Paul's never met these people. He never went to Colossae. Then how did they hear the gospel? From Epaphras. Who's Epaphras? Verse 7. You heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul led Epaphras, and Epaphras led the Colossians. What does that mean? I got to keep going back to roles, y'all. Roles are so important. It doesn't say that Epaphras was an apostle says he's a really good pastor. Really good pastors are just as important as really good apostles. Everybody's got a job to do. But notice that even though Epaphras was the founder, they didn't say, oh, and he, you know, he's awesome because he's so brilliant or he's awesome because he shares the gospel and he's so eloquent. It doesn't say any of that stuff. How does it describe him? He's a beloved fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ. What I think is so fascinating about this is Paul writes this letter from prison. A lot of people think it was from the prison in Ephesus. How did Epaphras hook up with him? Was it a visit? Could have been. Or Epaphras was in jail right next to him. They have time to talk. Didn't shut down his ministry. Being in jail didn't stop his ministry. I want to tell you this. You're never out of ministry. Well, you don't understand, Lance. I've done some pretty bad things. Oh, I didn't say your ministry didn't change and morph. I said you're never out of ministry. King David did some pretty bad stuff, and God said, all right, kid, let's start over again. Remember? You got re-racked. There is consequences. But you're never out of ministry. Why? Because ministry is simply who you are. You don't stop being a Christian. You don't stop being saved. You don't stop being a child of God. It pours out of you. Yes, there are times in your life you need to pull back because you're burnt out. There's times in your life where you need to shrink your mission field from big church into family or marriage or kids. That's your job. It's not less important. It's just different. There are times when you have massive seasons of fruitfulness and times when you just need to abide with the Lord. But you're not out of ministry. You're always in ministry. Well, you know, I don't know how to relate to you because I'm really not running a church anymore and I'm really not doing a ministry. Yeah, you are. It just happens to be at your house. I just need you to know God didn't change when your circumstances changed. He's still moving through you and he's still changing lives through you because that's how he is. Finally, it says, you know, one thing Epaphras told us about you guys, you're really, really loving and you love in the spirit. What does that mean? It means God's love poured into them and they were so filled up that it cascaded out of them onto everybody else. Are you loving out of sheer willpower and gritting your teeth? Or are you loving out of the overflow of the love of God? I sure hope it's out of the overflow because the other way is so exhausting. Right? When you're always loving out of an empty tank, that's yucky. And you'll start resenting people. But when you feel super loved, it's easy to love somebody else. All right. Faithfulness is intricately linked to our purpose. Last challenge for you today. It's time to invite your loved ones to church. For a long time, we were having jam services and it was causing a lot of different pressures on our leaders. And so we kind of cooled our jets on that for a while. It's time. It's time to invite your loved ones here. I'm so serious about it that I'm going to ask you to do this. When you are going to invite somebody and they're going to show... I want you to email my assistant, Amanda, Amanda Beck, and say, Pastor Lance, my friend so-and-so is coming to church. 
Why? Because I am agreeing to partner with you to begin with prayer. I will pray for that person with you. When they come, I need you to send me a second email that tells me how they did when they were here. Maybe we need to do a little bit more prayer. Maybe we need to encourage them. And since I know they're going to be here, I'm going to preach with them in mind. I'll be preaching with a sensitive heart knowing that they're here. But it's time to start bringing them here. We have the space now. They're not going to get messed up with the parking situation. They're not going to have all those other harassments and hassles. It's time to bring them here. Well, they could always watch online. It's different. It's different. There's an atmosphere buzz here. The Holy Spirit moves through the building here. doesn't mean he's not with you at home. doesn't mean that he's not going through live stream. It means that it's fun to be next to brothers and sisters. I want them here. And I want you to bring them. We need to have a new problem. It's called maxing this place out. Right? <laughs> Praise God. Could I have the prayer team come on up here as we close? I'm going to pray that this prayer team would be anointed. That whatever burdens you have upon your heart today would be released so you can go be the body of Christ. Because there's certain things that you need to walk through and there's certain things you don't. Let's get rid of the stuff we don't. That's why the prayer team is here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that... Lord, you would change our minds and hearts to see your work. Because, God, you're always working and you're not getting enough glory for it. So, Lord, right now, would you open up our eyes that we might become men and women of gratitude and thankfulness and feel blessed just by being here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just cover, as you have promised, this entire church that you said that when we are all together, you do a special, new and exciting work. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would drop any unnecessary burden in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would anoint this prayer team, that at their prayers, you would unleash heaven. That if there's breakthrough that needs to happen, Lord, it would happen right here at the altar. I pray as well, God, that there's some of us that are still scared of you. I pray you would banish all fear in the name of Jesus. Your word says that perfect love casts out fear. We shouldn't be afraid. God, we are your children. And you act a certain way towards your kids. Lord, if there are any that have felt sidelined or lost or kicked out or whatever, that, Lord, you would deal with them directly and reaffirm your love for them. And we pray that you might be vibrant in this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. The altar's open. Using. Lord, Increase our gifts and fan them into flame that we might be the people you designed us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a wonderful week.